Yes, Lord, we want to shout out this morning and we want to sing and praise that you are worthy, worthy of your name. You're the Alpha, the Omega, our Ransom, our Savior. Lord, you're worthy of all of our praise. Lord, I think this morning, the one thing I want to say thank you for, as a parent myself, Lord, is for answering the prayers of grandparents and parents that have uh, gone before us. Lord, when it comes to seeing uh, these children that are going to get baptized later on in this gathering, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for working in their hearts. Thank you for saving them, Lord Jesus. Lord, we realize we can, we can present church, we can present Jesus to them, but you do the saving. And Lord, we want to just simply say today, thank you for the grace of Jesus. Thank you for opening their eyes. Thank you for stepping into their life. Lord, thank you for the foundation that you are to them today and that you will be to them in the future. Lord, we want to just praise you. Lord, we want to praise you for our great salvation too as adults. We want to say thank you, Lord, for the day that you stepped into our lives. Lord, we know and have seen your faithfulness to many generations. And we just want to praise you for that today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Sure, my glasses are misting up, man. <laughs> I think I might just dip my head in that baptism pool just now. I'm feeling so hot. <laughs> I thought I might just walk up through it on the way up. Um, but I just want to uh, welcome uh, all of you who are here for the baptisms, friends, family, uh, parents, grandparents, whoever might be in, uh, in, in the space. I just want to say thank you for coming uh, through today. And then I want to also just welcome a couple that I feel so inspired by because they could be sitting down at the beach in their retirement at a lovely beach home. Not that that's bad, so if you've got a beach home, don't uh, uh, throw me with tomatoes or anything like that. But um, we were up in Zambia last year, and uh, Kareen and Kevin are a retired couple that are choosing to use their retirement years to make the gospel of Jesus known. I wanted them to stand. I don't know where you guys are. Where are you just? Are you, there we go. Thanks, guys. Thank you for using your one and only life and, uh, and, and these latter days of your life to uh, make the gospel known in Zambia. Um, there are going to be people that are going to be in heaven one day because you took time to not retire at the beach, but uh, to, ri to retire up in Zambia. And thank you just for the inspiration that you are. Um, to me as a younger man, uh, we appreciate uh, all that you're doing up there. Bless you, guys. Okay, if you are new and you're visiting, uh, my name's Vaughan. I'm one of the pastors here at City. And uh, we are in a series in the Gospel of Mark. It's the series that we've called Kingdom Now. And over the last couple of weeks, really what we've been seeing is that Jesus has all authority. And we've seen that this authority has caused people to marvel at his teaching, marvel at his miracles. Last week, we saw that uh, people worshipped him because of this authority. We even saw last week that the scribes worshipped him. Quite amazing when you consider what we're going to be reading uh, later today. So we've seen his authority, but I want us to note that it's not all that we've seen. 
we've seen his heart behind this authority too. And his heart is a heart of love and a heart of mercy. It's a heart that takes the leper by the hand and heals him. It's a heart that keeps the main thing the main thing. Because Jesus knew that people's greatest need, your greatest need, my greatest need, is repentance, forgiveness from our sin, reconciliation with the Father. It's a heart that revealed the heart of God the Father. Because the Bible says that Jesus never did anything except what he saw the Father in heaven doing. And so when we see what Jesus did, and we see Jesus' heart, we simultaneously see God the Father's heart. And it's a heart of love and mercy. And Jesus, over these last few weeks and coming weeks in this series, is wanting to shape our hearts. As we see his heart, he's wanting to shape our hearts. He wants us to see his heart so that we can know his heart, so that we can then make his heart known and communicate his heart to others and reveal him to those around us. And today, specifically, he wants us to see his heart when it comes to the Sabbath. And so we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 2, uh, verse 23, and a whole lot of verses after that today. So I'm going to start reading Mark chapter 2, verse 23, if you've got your Bibles, otherwise you can follow up on the screens. It says this, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain field, and as his disciples walked along, they be began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Last year I was in hospital with pneumonia and on one of uh, those days in the early hours of the, morning, of the morning a man was brought into the ward and he was in a bad way. A week earlier during load shedding he had walked outside in the dark, he had cut his leg on a, uh, one of those garden pots, he had put some, uh, some antiseptic on, a bandage on but he was a diabetic and he had a serious problem on his hands because his leg was now this swollen, completely infected and he stood the risk of actually losing his, head, his leg. 
he spoke to those of us that were in the ward the next morning, and he said, he said this, that his diabetes could be managed, can be managed by diet. And that over the years, the doctors have given him many diets to follow, but he's not going to let doctors tell him what to do. He's not going to let doctors rule his life. He immediately went on from that and said, in fact, yesterday, before I was admitted into a hospital, I was with my granddaughter, and we were eating a whole lot of Easter eggs. And he gave the same reason. I thought to myself that this man was interpreting what the doctors were telling him and telling him to do merely as rules, as restrictions, as telling him what to do rather than benefits to his health benefits to his length of life probably more time with his family in the long run you see we as people even as people who follow jesus can sometimes be just like this patient we miss god's heart for us when he asks something of us because we think it is just a rule, just a restriction. We fail to see his heart. We fail to see his heart behind what he is asking. We fail to see the life-giving ways that he has given us to live by. We can just be just like this patient. I am not going to let God dictate how I must live my life. When all that God is really wanting to do is wanting us to adopt something that's actually for our good. And so today I believe God is wanting us to see his heart behind setting aside a day a week to focus on him. In the Old Testament and in our passage that we read earlier on, that day is called the Sabbath day. In our lives today, that might be this meeting when we get together like this. It might be sometimes in the week where we carve out some time to specifically focus on Jesus. And so we're going to approach today looking at uh, four headings, God and the Sabbath, the Pharisees and the Sabbath, Jesus and the Sabbath, and us and the Sabbath. Let's look at that first one, God and the Sabbath. Mark doesn't give us too much information about the Sabbath. And uh, so what I want us to do is I want us to go back to the Old Testament, see how it originated, um, see God's heart behind it. And uh, I want to say this at the outset. God, yes, God is the one who establishes the Sabbath. He puts this kingdom practice in place himself. He sets the first example of taking a Sabbath. And he does it on the seventh day of creation. After creating everything that we, we see on the first six days, he rests on the seventh day. And we read about it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, and this is what it says. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done now how many of you know god does not get weary 
He does not faint. He does not get tired. God did not need rest. And yet, he stops his work of creation and he takes time to rest and to celebrate what it is that is, he has done over the previous six days. He commemorates what he has made. And when he has done that, he blesses this day, the Bible says, and he makes it holy. He makes it a day set apart to God. And in this God who rested gives his people a command in uh, one of the Ten Commandments, and it says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. He says, remember the Sabbath, the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. They stopped doing the work that they did during the week for a day to focus on Jesus. God sees that the Sabbath rest is so important for us as his people, even although he himself doesn't need to rest. He sets the first example in taking it, and then he commands his people to do the same. Why? That's the question. Why does God do this? Well, we've seen it in some of the verses that we have already read, and I'll pull some things out from those verses in a little bit, but I want to read a few more verses. Exodus 31 verse 12 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Verse 16, the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Deuteronomy 5 verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. When we look at these verses, I hope you see that it is a command from God. But I hope that you see that it's not just a command from God. I hope that you see God's heart behind the command because that is equally as important. His heart when it comes to the uh, Sabbath day is that this day is a day of blessing for us. It is a day given to us where we can stop our work, focus on God. A day where we can be refreshed by God. It's a day that is a sign for every generation that it's God's work to make us holy that his heart is to make us holy. It's a day to remember and celebrate and worship God for his great deliverance. Israel needed to celebrate being delivered out of Egypt. We have been delivered from our sin, from death, from a life that was going 
nowhere and that was dead in our sin. Now we are alive to Jesus. So we see some of the origins of the Sabbath. We see God's heart in it. But let's come to our passage and our text today as we look at the next, uh, the next point, and that is the Pharisees and the Sabbath. We see the Pharisees approach the Sabbath in two stories uh, in Mark. The first is in Mark chapter 2, verse 23, and I'm going to read it again. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain field, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Second uh, story that we see is in Mark chapter 3 verse 1, and it says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And then Jesus does, he heals him. And verse 6, we read this verse. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. When you read how the Pharisees treated and approached the Sabbath, I hope you notice that you don't see any of God's heart on display. No blessing, no refreshing, no focusing on God, no celebrating His deliverance, no sense of being aware of need uh, around them, not the hunger of the disciples, not the man with the shriveled hand. They're very pious, though. Only problem is that they're not pious about upholding God's laws. They've taken God's commands, added their own rules, and they want people to obey their rules. Not just people. But they want Jesus, who we'll see in a little while is Lord of the Sabbath, is the one who sets the rules for the Sabbath, is the one who sets the rules with a, with a loving heart behind it. They want that Jesus to obey their rules. Well, he's not going to. He's not going to because that's not who he is. We sometimes laugh at the Pharisees. Sometimes we think they're a little bit crazy. But we too set easily achievable man-made rules. Ones that we feel like we can keep. And when other people don't keep them, we look down on them. Looks like we are devoted to Jesus. And I'm not saying that we may not be with some of those. But it looks like we are so devoted to Jesus. But really behind the scenes, we are nowhere when it comes to obeying what God has really asked of us. I want you to know that Jesus never broke God, God's commands, never broke God's law. And we know this because when we read this passage, you see Jesus pointing back to Scripture when it comes to the first story and the, the grain being picked in the field. And uh, then he asked this question when we read the second story um, and him healing the man. He asked them this in verse 4. Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. They had no response to Jesus. They were silent. 
They had no leg to stand on. They knew that the only rules that Jesus was breaking was their own rules. He wasn't breaking the Father's rules, God's commands. He was breaking their ridiculous rules. You need to know just how ridiculous those rules are. They had a whole lot of rules that they had made up themselves when it came to the Sabbath. I'm going to just give you one as it relates to the story. The one rule was that you are not allowed to help a person with a physical need or with a medical emergency unless it was life-threatening. And if you did help and it wasn't life-threatening, it was considered as work and it was thus considered as sin. Can you imagine? They see Jesus doing what he's just done and they think about their rule that's like down over here. Rubbish is the word for it. They think about their rule. This man is healed, but it's not life-threatening. And they think to themselves, work, sin, how tragic. How tragic that the God of heaven who loves so deeply would want to heal a man and the Pharisees would see it as sin and as work. See, in their mind, based on their rules, healing in this situation was a big no-no and sinful. But plotting to meet, uh, to murder Jesus was perfectly okay. I'm just saying. I mean, can you see how messed up they were? I want to share two stories. Um, but before I do that, sometimes we have unspoken rules, biases, preferences that we live by. They're our rules. They're not God's rules. Sometimes these rules even prevent us from reaching out with the love of Jesus to people around us. Sometimes they prevent us from reaching out with God's heart. They prevent us from truly obeying God. Two stories. When I was in my 20s, I used to help with uh, baptisms uh, like we're going to be having today. And uh, that was at a previous church. They used to have us wear this white coat kind of thing. And so I put on the white coat and I baptized that first uh, Sunday a whole lot of people. And then uh, the next time uh, there was uh, baptisms happening, they asked me to do it again. But I never wore the white coat. I wore a black t-shirt. I wore a black t-shirt and that was my reasoning behind it. My reasoning was first time round, I realized that this uh, white coat is actually quite revealing when wet. <laughs> Didn't think that was appropriate for church. Didn't think it was appropriate for that moment. And so I wore a black t-shirt. Well, afterwards I had somebody come up to me and, and correct me for doing that. They say, asked me, how dare you, Vaughan, wear the devil's color for this important occasion? All I was wanting to do was love people, serve them in what God had called them to do. All they were doing was wanting to obey Jesus. And we worried about colors. 
no understanding of the heart behind it. I can only just say, Lord, thank you for your grace that I didn't just walk out and never go back. But I want to say this. There might be some people sitting in this room and your story isn't one like that. But you've been hurt in church. Can I just say I've been hurt on many occasions in church. Church isn't a perfect place. Can I tell you why? Because you and I are in it. I've probably hurt people and people have hurt me. But I want to say to you today, if you are going ahead with your life and there's no place in your life for Jesus anymore, maybe he's drawing you back today. Maybe today is a day of healing for you and your heart that's been there for so many years, but God is drawing you back. That's one story. Another story also years ago, a homeless man walked into church on a Sunday uh, morning, uh, straight off the street. Uh, he was ragged. He had not washed for a very long time. And uh, the next week, uh, two people with preferences, unspoken rules, gave me a call. They asked me, would you, Vaughan, if this person returns on the following Sunday, would you please... Um, just have a chat to them and ask them to wash before they come to church next time. I mean, you can't make these stories up, right? It's like, yo, how did this happen? How did this happen? But anyway, and then it was almost like they were trying to be a little bit gracious. They said, and if, if, if you can't do that, maybe just ask them if they wouldn't mind seating themselves in another seating area where less people are affected. Sure. I was livid. I thought to myself, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs, what are you doing in church? You need to get saved. <laughs> so you should be in church, but hey. But I didn't say that to them, but I did lovingly challenge them. I said to them, we can be offended by many things in life. I want to just find out from you guys, are you more offended that this person hasn't washed for a few days, maybe even weeks? Or are you more offended by the fact that this person might not have a relationship with Jesus who saves and should they die today, they will find themselves in an eternity without him? That's the Pharisees and the Sabbath. Let's look at Jesus and the Sabbath. We regularly see Jesus uh, celebrating the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath. What does he have to say when it comes to the Sabbath? Well, we saw it in verse 27. He says this to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What an incredible statement from Jesus. I hope you see his heart. His heart is that the Sabbath is for our good. The Sabbath is actually a gift from God to us. The Sabbath isn't about us. The Sabbath is about Him. But the Sabbath is for our good. It's for our good because we get to rest from the work that we do every single day, focus on Him. We get to love and worship Him. We get to be refreshed by Him. We get to be shaped by Him. It is good for us. The amazing thing that we see in uh, this passage as well, and it's, I see Jesus revealing here, is that 
when we take time to focus on Him, or when that is uh, what we approach this day with, we are focusing on Him. It's not one-way traffic. Because Jesus is a Jesus' attention is on us. The man with the shriveled hand did not escape the attention of Jesus on that day. The Sabbath is made for man, Jesus said, and then he demonstrates his goodness by healing this man with a shriveled hand. See, the Sabbath gives you and I opportunity to love God, but the Sabbath also gives God opportunity to love people through us just like he loved people through Jesus. Who knows that God doesn't even use us to see people healed, see people come to salvation. I believe he wants us to see that. What gave Jesus the right to make these statements, perform these miracles? Well, he tells us in verse 28, it says, the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And James helped us last week to see what kind of authority this Son of Man has been given in Daniel chapter 7, and I'm going to read it again, verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days, was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never, never be destroyed. The son of man who is given sovereign power and authority is Lord of the Sabbath. He could have used his authority in any way. You realize that, right? He could have used his authority in any way, but he chooses to use his authority on behalf of people like you and I, healing the sick, forgiving the sinner. I want to ask us some questions in light of these first three points and before we get into our final one. And yeah, they are. Are you still seeing any time you set aside to focus on Jesus as the blessing from God that it is? Are you? Have you been on this Christian road for many years? Are you still seeing the setting aside time for God as the blessing that God says it is? Or are you seeing it as a chore, a rule to be kept, something else to do on the to-do list of your week? Do you see it like that? I believe God is just wanting to speak to your heart today and have you embrace again the blessing of taking time in our week to set aside to focus on Him. Next question, is your time on a Sunday, Sunday only about you and God? Must be about you and God. But can God use you to reveal His heart to others in the room? Because God used His Son Jesus to reveal His heart to others in the room. And God wants to use our hearts to reveal His heart to others in the room. He wants us to not just be us and God, it's very important, but he wants us to be seeing others in the room. Then last question, are you a revealer of God's heart to others, or do unspoken rules and personal preferences stand in the way? 
That brings me to my last point. Us and the Sabbath. Is the Old Testament Sabbath something we still practice today? Colossians 2 verse 16 says this, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. See, this passage helps us to see that true Sabbath rest and refreshment is not ultimately found in a day. It's found in a person. And that person is Jesus. This passage also, also helps us to see that we are not required, and I want to phrase this properly, we are not required to keep the Sabbath day as law anymore. When we think Sabbath, we don't think law. That's what it's essentially saying. We don't want to think law. Followers of Jesus no longer need to wait for a day to focus on God. They no longer need to wait for a day where they can share Jesus with others. They no longer need to wait for a day to be refreshed by God because we are in Him. We can come to Him at any moment. This passage also helps us to see that the people of God's weekly focusing on Him in the Old Testament was actually a way of looking forward to what Jesus would do. A sign. A sign for everybody to know. This is pointing to Jesus. Because Jesus would be our rest. He would be the one who makes us holy. He would be the one who provides salvation. And so we are no longer required to keep the Sabbath as law. But that does not mean we abandon it. Because although it was a law in the Old Testament, it was also a means of grace. It was a means of grace given by God for his people to know him, for his people to experience time in his presence. It was a place uh, where uh, his people could... wonder and marvel and worship the God who had time for mankind. How incredible. So I believe for us as followers of Jesus, it's good and wise for us to continue to enjoy this means of grace. If you're wanting to do anything, ditch the Sabbath as a law. Embrace the Sabbath as a means of grace because it's still a blessing to us. It is still a place of refreshing for us. It is still a place where we get to worship God and praise Him together with His people. I think it's important for us to embrace uh, the Sabbath uh, still as a means of grace. And here's why. Because as followers of Jesus, we now have a desire for devotion. I hope we do. A desire for devotion. In Scripture, the Sabbath included worship, word, community. Acts 13 verse 44 says, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. See, these things help us to cultivate intimate relationship with God. But then there's also a desire for worship that we have. We want to be a people who don't neglect to praise this God of heaven who saved us and gave his life for us. And then there's a desire for dependence. God wants us to be diligent in our work. And then he wants us to rest in him and his ability to provide for us. He's the one that provides. We work hard, 
but we can rest in Him and focus on Him because He is our provider. And then the last of the desires, the desire to be distinct. We are called to be salt and light. We are called to be more like Jesus daily. We want to reflect Him to those around us. We are distinct because of His presence in our lives. We want to spend time in His presence so that He can shape us in His presence. He wants to shape the way we spend our time, the way we do business, the way we rest, how we relate to people. He wants to shape our relationship with Him. And so by all means, let us continue to embrace this means of grace. Well, as Hebrews says it, let's not forsake the gathering together of the saints as some are in the habit of doing. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, bow your heads. And the first group of people I want to speak to is maybe a group of people, you've done church for many years, um, you feel an ele- element of, of peace in your heart when you go to, to go, go to church, but actually you have never uh, experienced real rest because you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You're a churchgoer, but you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sin, acknowledge that you're a sinner, and received Him into your life and had Him help you to continue to live a life that worships Him. If you've never done that today, that's your next step. Confess your sin. Believe that He is the one who can take away sin. Ask Him to come into your life, and He'll be faithful and just to forgive your sin. Today is your day. Don't put it off. Do it today. He's drawing you today. As I said earlier on, maybe you're somebody who was hurt in church. He's drawing you back today. Maybe for some of us in this room, we, or many of us in this room, we put our faith in Jesus. But we look at these times and these things that He asks of us as merely just rules, restrictions, and He's wanting us to see the setting aside of a day for Him as a blessing again. What's your next step? Just embrace it for what it is. Put aside the things that have put the negative Uh, ideas there and embrace it for what it is pursue God in it I want to pray for for us for those two groups of people Lord I want to pray you might just acknowledge this in your hearts while I'm praying say Lord that's me he's praying for me Lord I'm doing this you might say in your heart Lord I want to pray for people that have never put their faith in you I want to pray today that, um, Lord, they would find real rest. It doesn't come from going to a building. It doesn't come from going to church, but comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today that they would know the joy of sins forgiven. I pray that they would know the, the joy of following Jesus. Lord, I pray that uh, they would know the joy of uh, God in heaven helping them through the various joys and challenges of life. Lord, I pray today that they would know uh, that they have confessed their sin and believed in you and that you call them sons and daughters. And then, Lord, I want to pray for those of us in this room today. Lord, who just don't see what we are doing right now and other moments where we devote time to you as a blessing that we once did could be all kinds of reason but Lord we want to just say today Lord we hear what you're saying to us and Lord we want to see it for the blessing that it is Lord if we have become all about our own man-made rules free us of it Lord we want to obey you 
want to pursue you. Lord, we ask for that today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. We're going to move across to baptisms now and all of these little guys on the left-hand side and some of uh, uh, their, their, their parents are going to be uh, standing up. Um, I want to just say this. This is a day of celebration, guys. It's a day of celebration because it's the work of God in, in young people's uh, lives. It's His saving work. They are simply just getting up today to proclaim what Jesus has already done for them. And so uh, when they get baptized, it's going to go like this. There's going to be a testimony. There's going to be a baptism. Testimony, baptism. Don't be quiet. Let's clap. Let's cheer. Because Jesus has done an incredible work in them, and He still has much to do in them and through them. And so let's do that. I'm going to hand over to Lester over here. Lester, over to you, bud.